Welcome to the GMH Podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. A wrench thrown into Hamilton's LRT demo work. Cyclists are ready to roll between Paris and Ancaster. Maple Leafs legend Wendell Clark joins the show to talk Leafs lightning. Tax tips to beat the tax man. Interesting news for cottage goers. And hybrid workers are healthier. The Good Morning Hamilton Podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton Podcast on 900 CHML. So if you haven't heard... Now, Hamilton is getting an LRT, by the way. <laughs> we think. We hope. Uh, construction of the LRT route has been, well, thrown a bit of a wrench. And it all has to do with a bunch of birds. So here, here's a long and short of it. In an effort to protect a chimney swift habitat, uh, Metrolinx has decided to retain and stabilize a three-story brick apartment uh, at the corner of Holton and King Streets. And uh, as you can imagine, this decision has hit a nerve with many in our community, especially those who've been displaced by LRT-related demolitions. Carl Andrus is the Community Benefits Manager with the Hamilton Community Benefits Network with an eye on this LRT plan. Carl, good morning. Welcome back to the show. How are you? Good morning, Rick. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm all right, and I really appreciate the, the opportunity to talk about um, what's going on on the Hamilton LRT corridor right now. So, as as you mentioned in your highlights, we have a species at risk that's being protected from uh, demolition uh, along the corridor. But that hasn't been the same case for approximately 150 people that have been displaced by property procurement along the line. And that certainly, I would imagine, has a lot of people. Demon mad. Uh, your your thoughts on on this new twist here? Well, so we have a we have a commitment to protect uh, bird species, but none around affordable housing or what the government or Metrolink intends to do with the land that they procured that is with our public dollars along the corridor. There is no commitment towards building affordable housing at this point. Is there any sense that this apartment building, which is it's, it's vacant, you know, no one's living there apart from the birds, is it going to be maintained permanently or will it eventually come down uh, once the LRT is being built? So they've already demolished a good chunk of the building before they discovered the birds. So as far as its use for, for human habitation, it's it's not possible anymore. It's mostly just the chimney and some of the bricks that are left on the property, uh, unfortunately. Have you spoken to any people who have been displaced and how they feel about this? Uh, Not in a a number of months, as you can imagine. But yes, I have spoken to tenants who have been displaced by the project. Um, Not specifically about this issue, but I imagine they'd be quite angry to discover that uh, their previous home is being preserved for birds, but not for them. Have all or most found a new place to live? Uh, For the most part, yes. Uh, what's the latest on the demo plan? Is it full steam ahead? Are we seeing more bumps in the road? What, what's your sense? So the project will continue um, uh, moving forward. The city is committed to doing some early works. And at May 26th at the LRT subcommittee hearing, we'll be hearing more from Metrolinx on how it plans to deliver the project in its, in its fullness. So what are you hoping to hear at that meeting? I'm hoping to hear a very solid commitment towards donating the land that they've purchased with public money towards affordable housing and to some of the Hamilton's Home Coalition. So, what, I mean, what's the likelihood of that? 
Metrolinks has donated land in the past before for community hubs on other projects. So it's not unknown for them to to give up the land, but um, so far to date, not a single Metrolinks owned land has gone for affordable housing. Hmm. Carl Andrus is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Carl is with the Hamilton Community Benefits Network and uh, certainly has had an eye on the LRT for a few years now. Is there any update on when construction of the LRT will officially begin? So, again, we'll have that update at the May 26th uh, LRT subcommittee meeting, but uh, my sense is that they are now looking at early 2024. Okay, so that's a little off the mark, but not too bad. It it is. As I said, um, of course, it's going to be a a major undertaking for most of the city of Hamilton to be torn up uh, 14 kilometers in the lower city (laughs) along Maine and King and Queenston. Um, So it's going to be a very disruptive project uh, as it's built. Oh, absolutely. And we know that uh, First Ontario Centre is going to be closed down for a couple of years. LRT construction going to begin. Uh, Downtown Hamilton in particular is going to at times look like, uh, you know, a a massive construction project. But, uh, you know, uh, short-term pain, hopefully, fingers crossed, for for long-term gain. Carl, appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Have a great day. That is uh, Carl Andrus from the Hamilton Community Benefits Network. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. This is a big weekend in Ancaster and, well, Paris as well. That's because the Paris to Ancaster bike race is taking place this weekend. It is Canada's Spring Cycling Classic as we welcome you back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Here to preview the big event this weekend is Tim Farrar, co-race director of the Paris to Ancaster bike race. Tim, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Doing well. Thank you very much. Uh, Thanks for joining us this morning. Are you guys ready? Well, we will be on Sunday. (laughs) What are what are some of the things to do? Yeah, what are some of the preparations that have to be done before we get to Sunday? Well, the uh, the big thing on the last few days before the race is the course marking, making sure that everybody goes the right way. Packages for all the riders' numbers and stuff all get moved to the uh, community center where we do registration and. All the vendors start moving in today and tomorrow. Actually, some yesterday. Um, some of the preparations on site. All right, some All sounds, the infrastructure that has to accompany uh, an event of this guy's tents, etc. Yeah, They're sounds like you guys now. are well on your way to getting uh, prepared for uh, the big event. How many cyclists are registered, and and are they coming from around the world? Uh, Two part of the first one, we got about 3,100 registered, I believe, um, which is the most we've ever had. We did shut it down. We were at capacity. Um, and from around the world, yes, but the vast majority are from uh, Ontario, Quebec, and the, the neighboring states that uh, make, the, make the drive in a day or two. But we also have people from all the way across Canada, every province. I think we're rep- presenting uh, seven or eight states this year, which is uh, a little down on our normal, but because we're also the Canadian championship, that's sort of accounts for why some of the Americans might not come. Uh, You mentioned that this is going to be the inaugural year for the Canadian gravel championships as part of the Paris-Dancaster bike race. How does that work and and how big of a deal is this? Well, gravel cycling is the, uh, is exploding in popularity around, around the world really. But, uh, We've been doing our version of gravel at Paris Ancaster longer than most. We've been uh, doing it since 1994, and the U.S. gravel scene started to take off in the uh, early 2010s. 
Um, and we didn't know we were gravel back then. Um, we apparently are. And we asked Cycling Canada if it was time for a uh, for this new discipline to have its own national championship, and they agreed. Our so guest we, on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Tim Farrar, co-race director of the Paris Ancaster Bike Race. Uh, the big event happens this Sunday, and it's going to be an exciting one. R- regarding the the gravel uh, cycling portion of it, why has it become so popular? What's what's the allure of it? Well, I think part of it is uh, is road safety. Um, you know, people like to get out on the uh, quiet roads where there's low, low traffic and uh, the bike manufacturers have responded with bikes that look like traditional road racing bikes to the inexperienced eye, but will have uh, much fatter tires, but ride much the same way as a road bike would ride. It's kind of uh, like a mountain bike would be overkill for Paris Ancaster. A gravel bike would be just right, but a mountain bike would be my choice if getting to the finish was uh, without any mechanical difficulties or flat tires. The, you know, the durability of the mountain bike is an advantage in that case. How many, di- how many different kinds of bikes do you normally see on race day? Well, let's see. We have uh, mountain bikes that come in at least three different wheel sizes. Um, we have fat bikes, which are mountain bikes with extraordinarily fat tires. We've had unicycles. We have tandems. <laughs> really? Um, we have cyclocross bikes, road bikes, and um, gravel bikes. So how many is that? <laughs> <laughs> how, how long does it take a unicyclist to get around the course? Most of the day. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, are but, there... And there's not a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, well, thankfully. Are, are... I don't think there's any this year, but in, in other years we've had up to three. Wow. Are there any changes to the race course itself? Yeah, there are changes every year, and some of them are um, planned. Like we just we have a couple of private properties where there's several different routes where you could go through, so it's a little bit of a different uh, change up the course a little bit each time. There's also um, changes as you know the landscape evolves. Really, you know, properties change hands, roads get paved, so there's always some change. This year, um, it's mostly in the private property sections. We've uh, added one from last year and uh, and changed the route through uh, two others. So uh, even if you know Paris Ancaster, you don't really know the route until you're on it. <laughs> Tim Farrar is our guest. Tim is the co-race director of the Paris Ancaster Bike Race. You can find out more information online, parisancaster.com. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. How long do the top cyclists take to finish the race compared to, let's just say, the average participant? Well, the uh, the good guys will do the hundred kilometers in a, about three hours, which is uh, is going some. Mm-hmm. But the the bulk of the people come in between the four and four and five hour mark um, for the for the hundred kilometer. And then the other other races have um, basically the same breakdown. the The riders at the front are going you know pretty close to forty kilometers an hour average. Wow! Even in the shorter races, they only just. They're just, just as fast at the front of the 45 as it is at the front of the 100 and to, uh, to most people's uh, eyes. Um, and then just a, a longer ride for the 100K and a, long, and a, a shorter one for the other two. Uh, or I'd, three. Be, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, mention the fundraising component of Sunday's race because this is a big fundraiser and, a, and, a, and an awesome partnership that uh, you and your committee have with St. Joseph's Healthcare Foundation. Tell us about that. Yeah, that's been a great found, uh, great uh, partnership with them. They've been um, 
to help with us on the on the race side with opening doors to all kinds of people that might not be as receptive to a, a conversation with just a Tim Ferriss race organizer. Um, and they do obviously they do great work in uh, healthcare research, and um, it's become a very significant fundraiser for the uh, for the hospital, and we're quite proud of that. And you should be, and it's a great win-win for uh, the event and, and the community and the foundation for sure. Tim, really appreciate your time this morning. Best of luck on Sunday. I know it's going to be uh, a little wet, but that might uh, add a little a uh, little bit of spice to this year's event. Well, we do put on a bike race in April, so it's going to rain sometime. <laughs> that is for sure. Uh, have a great weekend, Tim. Thank you very much. Uh, that is uh, co-race director of the Paris Dancaster Bike Race, Tim Farrar, joining us here on GMH. And it, yeah, it's going to be a little soggy, going to be a little muddy at times, I am sure. It's, it's almost going to be like a, a bike race in a mud run at the same time. And, uh, well, thankfully, there's no unicyclist because that would get uh, down and dirty. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, the Maple Leafs are... Feeling a little bit of pressure. Certainly their fans are. Here's Bolton speeding in. After a loose puck to the lead zone. Put it in front. Chance there. Riga scores. The Lightning have a two-goal lead. And it's the Game 7 hero from a year ago, Nick Paul. Tampa Bay still alive. The Lightning doubling up the Maple Leafs 4-2 last night in Toronto to cut the Leafs' playoff series lead to three games to two. Tampa is going to host Game 6 tomorrow night. And if... A Game 7 is needed, and Leafs fans are hoping that is not the case. It's going to be played Monday night in Toronto. Here to talk about it is Toronto Maple Leafs legend Wendell Clark. Wendell, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, Wendell, do we have you? Yes. Hey, there you go. Yeah, we can hear you loud and clear. What are your takeaways from last night's Lightning victory? Uh, no, well, you're, uh, you've got the Lightning uh, down three games to one, back against the wall. Uh, it's going to be the toughest win to get. You're, you're, you've got a team that's uh, won a couple cups and been to the finals. They know what it takes, and they're not going to die. So this this is just the middle of a series. It's all part of of uh, not going away. If we're good enough, we'll find a way to win by seven games, and that's the way it is. You're, it's pretty tough to beat the Lightning, I think, three games in a row. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we know this as well. Toronto has lost their last 11 series clinching games. Can you put your finger on why they haven't been able to close out a series? Uh, no, obviously it comes down to your, your you know, in recent years, uh, you're not good enough. That's that's the difference. You're either good enough to win or you're not good enough to win. And that's, uh, I think this year we are good enough to win and we're going to find a way. It's just not going to roll through and win them all in four straight it's going to be a, a series you have to learn uh not learn but you, you have to battle you have to give credit to the other team for being a pretty good hockey team we saw the best version of tampa bay goalie andre vasilevsky last night does that have you a little worried heading into tomorrow night well it's always a little worrying when you're the other team's probably got the best goalie in the league and and then he starts winning games because you can outplay the other team and and not win because the other team's got a the goalie that stands in his head. Um, you know, our first two games in Tampa, for two periods of both games, they outplayed us, and it was our goalie that was keeping us in it. And then in the third, we find a way to win. And uh, last night, we I, I thought maybe we were going to do it. Uh, when Austin got the goal there to make it 3-2, and we still had three minutes left, I thought the fate was going to keep going, but it, it changed a little bit. But, uh, no, hopefully um, we just have to, you know, probably be more lower-scoring games now in the next two than there were in the first five. 
Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Wendell Clark, Toronto Maple Leafs legend. And uh, we know the Game 6 is tomorrow night in Tampa. It comes nearly 30 years after your epic Game 6 in the 93 Campbell Conference Final against L.A. Now, apart from the Gretzky high-stick non-call in that game, what do you remember most about that game? <laughs> I don't know. It's a long time ago. <laughs> I, I remember I was – it had it been a regular season game, I wasn't going to play. My body was too beat up. But it was a playoff game and then just happened to be that night. The puck – there you, you can't predict it. The puck follows you around and, and you're in the right spot all the time. It, well, yeah, your body's beat up and you managed to score a hat trick. You know, like I said, the puck followed you around, and you're you know, not bad when you get to play with a player like Dougie Gilmore. He puts the puck right on the tape. But uh, we were close, and another, you know, we just couldn't find a way to beat the Wayne Gretzky and company. That was a, a tremendous playoff run, and uh, we're hoping that this year's team goes on a long one as well. Where is your confidence meter at with this Leafs team? Are you very optimistic or cautiously optimistic that they're going to eventually win this series? Oh, well, I, I think I'm very opti- optimistic that we can win the game and, or one of the games. It's, it's a series. It's a best of seven. You have to respect how tight the league is. Um, and, and we just have to, if we want to prove it to ourselves that we're good, we, we have to win. There's a, you, you don't make any excuses for it. Either you're good enough to win or you're not good enough to win. And I think this year our team is uh, good enough to make make the next step one thing we know for sure the fan base is ready to celebrate i mean you can feel the the tangible buzz in toronto it is the fans are we got the greatest fans and they love uh watching the game and, and pulling for their teams and and so hopefully uh our team can go out and do it uh, do it for the fans because it, it makes for a lot of a lot of excitement in the city that's for sure wendell thanks for spending some time with us enjoy game six tomorrow and, and who knows maybe even game seven on monday thanks for uh, catching up with us All right, thank you. Toronto Maple Leafs legend Wendell Clark joining us here on GMH. Game 6 tomorrow, Tampa, Toronto, who knows what will happen. If the Lightning get the better of the Leafs again, it's going to be another Game 7 for these two teams. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. It's frustrating to know that uh, Canadians may, as the days come, uh, have more difficulty accessing services, uh, but that's a motivator for everyone to try and resolve this. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau on the ongoing negotiations to end the strike by Public Service Alliance of Canada workers as we welcome you back here to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Well, even though CRA workers are on strike, the deadline to file your taxes is still Monday. And, well, here's some good news. If you have not filed your taxes yet, there is still time, number one, to do so. But there's still time as well to capitalize on some of the tips you may not know uh, to help you avoid getting tripped up by the by the taxman. Don Fox is an executive financial consultant with Fox Group IG Private Wealth Management and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Don, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. Very good. Yourself? I'm good. Uh, we know the uh, the CRA workers are on strike with their fellow PSAC members. Uh, has this created a, a busier tax season than normal for your team? I wouldn't say any busier. Um, you know, the funny thing is, is even though we may not be getting a refunds, we still have to get that those taxes in by Monday, May first. So there's no uh, there's no delay on the on the intake from Revenue Canada uh, CRA, but there is uh, on the refunds coming back. So you know it's uh, interesting times on the Revenue Canada side. 
Very much so. Uh, whenever we, uh, you know, do our taxes at this time of the year, it can be stressful for some people because they're not, uh, you know, a hundred percent sure on how they can get the most out of their return. What what tips can you share for taxpayers to capitalize on things like deductions? Well, that's a there's a, a whole slew of deductions there, Rick. Um, one that a lot of people may miss though is digital subscriptions. So, you know, you're seeing, obviously, a lot of people aren't getting papers delivered anymore, but they are getting, you know, the spectator uh, online and so forth. And, and that does count as a digital subscription. And they have a list of them. So you have to watch. Uh, certain ones do not qualify, but it adds up and it's, a, it's another deduction. Uh, the other one, if you're investing, is the advisory fees. Now, advisory fees are tax deductible on non-registered investments. So that, that, that would not include tax-free savings accounts or your RSPs. But for non-registered investments, those are fully tax-deductible, and uh, that, those can be sizable. And quite often, they're overlooked. In fact, if, they, if, you, if you are an investor and you have non-registered investments, um, I've had clients go back five years and get a, quite a substantial refund because they've missed them for quite some time. <laughs> Anything new this year in terms of filing your taxes or, or things you can take advantage of? Hmm. Anything new? I wouldn't, uh, uh, yeah, nothing particularly new. Next year, the, uh, the first time home buyer savings plan will be, uh, is coming out. Right. But that, that won't qualify for 22. That will be for 23. Um, but it is a, a great product. And a lot of the institutions, including ours, do not have them available yet. But it just got announced in April, so anybody that uh, has not bought a house in the past will be able to put $8,000 towards a, a house into these um, first-time homebuyer savings plans. The nice thing about these is the whole 8000 is tax-deductible. And the better part about these is when you pull the money out, it's like a tax-free savings account. You don't have to pay tax on it, and you don't have to repay it back, unlike the current um, scenario when you pull money out of the RSPs and you have to pay it back over 15 years. So these are going to be quite popular. Um, the only disadvantage is if you don't do it this year, it doesn't carry it forward. So it's not like you can do 16000 the following year. Hmm. And so this is going to be quite a, a great product for parents and grandparents to help out their kids. Quite, quite often they may not have the $8,000, but um, they're already helping out already these days. So why not... Uh, use these products, these plans when they do come into effect. Yeah, that is a great point. I've read a lot of good things about this uh, new account for first-time homebuyers, and it's going to be, I think, a, a really good thing for those individuals who are struggling to get a down payment to eventually get in the housing market. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Don Fox, Executive Financial Consultant, Fox Group, IG Private Wealth Management. You can hear him uh, Saturday mornings at 8 right here on CHML with Planning Your Financial Future. Don, what are the most common mistakes that people make when it comes to their taxes? Uh, one would be not income splitting. So the pension splitting between spouses is, is it can make a huge difference in income tax. So I often find that, um, you know, second marriages, they still may, you know, they like to keep a lot of their finances separate, including their income tax returns. And there's quite an option to move half of your pension's income over to the other spouse and in order to split income. That one is very sizable, and I've seen that a number of times. So that would be probably the biggest mistake. And uh, it's uh, the you know charities. 
you know, if you're not doing, a, if you're doing a lot of charities uh, one year, but not a lot the next year, you can save those receipts for the, so if you only made maybe a couple hundred dollars in charities this year, but there's maybe a thousand you're expecting to donate the following year, save that receipt and that way, because the first $200, you only get a approximately a 20% deduction. It's actually a credit, but you only get 20% back. But um, after the $200, you're getting about 45% back. So, you know, it's just a matter of planning this out. And and medical receipts, same idea. If you have, uh, you can choose your 12-month window for medical receipts. So if you happen to put, uh, you know, a big dental bill at the end of December and the, and the next payment was January, let's say it's uh, 2000 in December and 2000 in January, you can pick your 12-month window. So you can make it a January 31st year-end and claim both of them in one year, <laughs> and you'll get a lot bigger deduction that way. Wow, great tips. I would say another common mistake is people not contacting Fox Group, IG Private Wealth Management, and getting a plan. You can go online, donfox.net. Uh, Don, we could probably go on for another hour, but we'll oh, have to leave it there. So yes, you're absolutely <laughs> right, Rick. There's so many different things you can do. And the biggest tip, though, is make sure you get them in. Don't worry about the strike. Yeah. It's a 5% penalty. If you, do not, if, you do, if you owe money and you do not get those, uh, your tax return in on May 1st, and then it's 1% per month penalty plus interest after that. So make sure you get those taxes in. Great tips. Don, thanks for the time today. Anytime, Rick. Thank you. You can hear more of Don and his team on planning your financial future Saturday mornings at 8 on 900 CHML. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Have you ever dreamt of having a cottage? Or maybe, maybe you're lucky enough to have one. Have you held on to it for years and years and years and generations upon generations? Have you recently bought one? Well, you'll be interested to know some of the details of REMAX's 2023 Cottage Trends reports. Some interesting tidbits of info to share. And here to help do so is Christopher Alexander. He's the president of REMAX Canada and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Christopher, good morning. How are you? I'm great, thanks. How are you? Not too bad. I understand that Gen X is now at the top of the heap when it comes to purchasing cottages. So what are we seeing here? Well, historically speaking, it was really retirees and baby boomers, but the torch has been passed and Gen Xers are really driving activity in most recreational markets across the country. Once, I, I would think, once someone owns a cottage, my guess is it stays in the family for a generation or two or maybe even three. Well, the average seems to be about 10 years, at least in Ontario. And a lot of the research that we did is showing that majority of Gen X buyers are thinking like that and want a long-term nest egg, so to speak, or family heirloom, call it, that they can pass on to the next generation. And that's really a big motivator for a lot of them. What's your biggest takeaway when you look at all the the numbers in this Cottage Trends report? What sticks out to you? I would say that Ontario is really the outlier and majority of favorable rec markets are still in strong sellers territory. Uh, Inventory levels are remarkably low. Uh, across the major regions, Muskoka, Halliburton, Kawarthas. And compared to the rest of Canada, which is seeing a lot more balance, um, you know, that that, pande- that early pandemic boom we saw didn't materialize where a lot of us predicted that 
in 2023, we would see a lot more product come to market because so many people bought cottages and probably underestimated the amount of work and expense during that time. However, I will even admit personally, I underestimated how awesome cottaging is. <laughs> and it seems like, um, it seems like a lot of the, the buyers in that 2020 year, um, are really, really enjoying their, their recreational properties. As you just mentioned, we did see early on in the pandemic as more and more people were being told, hey, you got to work from home. You know, these individuals saw an opportunity. Hey, I can work from home. I can do so in cottage country. And we really saw a bit of a uh, a boom in the cottage market. Is that still somewhat of a factor in people eyeballing uh, potential cottages? Well, it is and it isn't. I mean, the lines are increasingly being blurred as far as what constitutes or what employers are comfortable with. There's been a big pushback to the offices, especially in the financial sector. And so that may, may be skewing some, some of the results. But I, I think the main driver for most cottage buyers is they want to have a place they can go that's, you know, relatively close to home. It's drivable. It's an escape from the city. And that's been the case for decades. I mean, that's typically been the, the driving factor for most, most cottage purchasers. But the interesting thing and what we saw in our research in this report is that it seems like Gen Xers are thinking even longer term. They want it to be able to pass on to their children. They recognize the affordability challenges that we're uh, you know, faced with in the, in the country, especially in Ontario. And it's almost like they're trying to get ahead of a longer term price increase so that they can get in now and watch their investment grow over time. We're looking at the 2023 Cottage Trends Report from REMAX Canada with REMAX Canada President Christopher Alexander on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. We know that uh, inflation has certainly push, uh, pushed um, mortgage rates higher, not only in this province, but to every province. How has that impacted the cottage market? Well, it's impacted every market, not just the rec- recreational ones. And, you know, if you look, yes, it's still a seller's market in much of the cottage regions in Ontario, but prices are down year over year, much like they are in other market segments across Canada. And interest rates played a big role in that. Um, affordability factor changed immensely. But what people are really have really found out is that despite the price adjustments, your monthly carrying costs are almost the same, if not greater at the lower price point because the interest rates are higher. And so, you know, for example, in 2020, when you could get a mortgage or 2021, get a mortgage under 2%, let's say it was a million bucks, it's the same price or even a little bit less than uh, today's rates, which are hovering around 5% to carry every month. And so the difference now though, especially in the last, you know, three, four weeks, activities really picked up. Buyers have renewed confidence now that the Bank of Canada has held firm for two cycles now. The desire to own real estate in pretty much every segment is really strong in Canada. Uh, You know, it's no secret we have a a housing shortage crisis. That's going to compound, you know, the challenge of affordability, especially when we're welcoming 500,000 new Canadians every single year. They're all going to need a place to live. And, you know, there's no national housing strategy to stimulate that supply and it's spilled over into every market luxury recreational and 
I don't, I don't think cottage, the cottage market's going to be exempt from those pressures. We've got about 30 seconds. Are cottage buyers looking for the same thing when it comes to a recreational property as close to the water as I can get? Yeah, that's always waterfront's always been the pinnacle. It, the, the value you get from being on the water uh, is you know tremendous than, than off water properties. And what I'm really watching though is, is how much further are people willing to go than they were in the past? It used to be two hours two, two to three hours was the max. I think you know you mentioned work from home. If you got good Wi-Fi, I think people are starting to show that they're willing to drive even further to, to get that cottage. Uh, that meets their needs and might be in a lower price point further out. So I'm really, really watching that personally to see how that shakes out for the rest of this year. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Christopher, uh, appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the weekend. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Christopher Alexander is the president of REMAX Canada, chatting to us about the 2023 Cottage Trends Report. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. There's a new study out from International Workplace Group, IWG, and it's unveiling some new details on how hybrid workers are coping three years into the COVID-19 pandemic. Hint, pretty darn good. And if you're like me and have been working at work all this time, you might be a little miffed at what you're about to hear. So if you're driving along, try to stay in your lane and not veer off course because you're so irate. Wayne Berger is the CEO of the Americas at IWG and joins us now on GMH. Wayne, good morning. How are you? Hi, good morning, Rick. How are you? I'm good. What did your study find about hybrid workers? Well, I'll tell you what, the recent study has uh, has seem to prove that one of the keys to a happier, healthier life is flexibility. So here's what we're seeing from the, least, from the latest research. Um, this research was conducted of workers from across Canada, and it's, really, it's revealing some very interesting changes to their day-to-day habits due to the time saved specifically by reducing their day-to-day commute. So here's what we discovered. Here's what we discovered. It's leading to multiple health and well-being benefits, including more time being dedicated to exercise, better cooking, better eating habits, improved mental health, and a longer night's sleep. So what you're telling me at the end of the day is what you have found is that hybrid workers are healthier than those, potentially healthier than those who are at the physical workplace day in and day out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and, and just for the audience, I'll... I'll help explain what a hybrid worker is because a lot of people, they create this misnomer between hybrid working and remote working or working only from home, which is very, it's very much a misnomer. Only 11% of Canadians want to work from home 8.30 to 5, five days a week. A hybrid worker is a worker who's given the opportunity to work more flexibly every day, splitting their work time between three real distinct places, sometimes from home when you, when head down work is needed. Um, sometimes from the office, but you got to drive to or commute to. And then I think most specifically, a local workspace that's, that is a workspace that you can access between five to 15 minutes from their home. And in this case, with the study, more than 70% of these hybrid workers, they're eating healthier and cooking healthier meals, reducing commute time because they're able to work more flexibly is helping them add an extra 73 hours of sleep each year. Hybrid workers, they're exercising over 40 minutes per week longer compared compared to what they were doing prior to the pandemic. 
and 50% of those workers want to use the time saved from commuting to exercise. And, uh, and an interesting element in the study, which surprised us, was more than a quarter, 27% of hybrid workers report decreased alcohol consumption. So they're it's saving this time of of sometimes unnecessary commutes and, and the ability to work flexibly is giving people more time to focus on their health and wellness, both mental and physical. Those are really phenomenal benefits and good for those hybrid workers for achieving that kind of excellence at home and at work. Because as we know, a healthier worker or a happier worker is a more productive worker. Are we also seeing the productivity get better? Yeah, you're exactly right. Um, and 70% of workers surveyed say they've been more productive since pre-2020. And, and the, few, the main reasons why is because, frankly, they're enjoying their work more. And they have more time outside of work to relax and unwind after work. So we're seeing an increase in productivity. And, and the flexible schedule offered by working in a hybrid way is leading to greatly reduced stress. 54% of respondents have less stress. 45% of respondents are folk are driving greater results from a productivity perspective because they can maximize their time better. And that gives them the opportunity to spend more time with friends and family outside of work. And, and frankly, as you mentioned, healthier, happier employees lead to greater productivity gains because they're, they're achieving a greater level of job satisfaction. Wayne, we got less than a minute. I, I can foresee some at-work workers saying to themselves and maybe even to their bosses, hey, if hybrid workers are healthier and happier, how do I get some of that, which could lead to some strain in the workplace? Yeah, absolutely. 50% of, 50 of hybrid workers will not go back to work uh, from 8.30 to 5, five days a week in one centric office. What's happening now is people are choosing to work in a more hybrid way. They will leave companies if they're unable to work in a hybrid way, and they'll join companies when hybrid work is being offered. It's absolutely critical for companies who want to attract and retain great employees. Great stuff, Wayne. Really appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Rick. You too. That's Wayne Berger. He is the CEO of the Americas for IWG. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.